Amen. I, I was thinking of Dad's message this morning, which um, was perfectly timed. And uh, I was just thinking a couple of months ago that um, I had spoken to the community center there, and not only could they not get us on Wednesday nights, but they couldn't do us any night of the week, could not get into the community center. And so we started meeting in houses for a few months. I don't know how long we exactly we've been doing that, but um, and the timing, all things work together for good, all those things. So the, we got to believe that the timing of the Lord put us where we were, and the timing of the Lord has taken us back to uh, be together. I wasn't that grateful for that place before, but I'm more grateful for it now. Not because we cared that people were out of our house. We love that, but just I hate the kids over one place and young adults somewhere else and don't get to talk to everybody every week, um, and that is not who we are, <laughs> as we all know. Amen. Flip in your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy in chapter 2. We're going to reread scripture that I had read a few weeks ago when I had spoken, and I want to continue on the same thought. Um, I don't have any super special agenda to try to get you know messages in. I know Dad is the same way. It's one of the one of the benefits I think of of being a pastor is that we're not here one week and gone the next. The work of an evangelist is different. It's to encourage and to inspire maybe, and the work of a pastor is to feed. And so hopefully, even sometimes in redundancy, even sometimes in things that we've heard and we need to hear again, it's for the purpose of growth in our life. It's for the purpose of the Lord trying to help us see things from a different perspective. And I'm telling you of a certainty that God has really been challenging me to see things from a different perspective. And that's not easy for me. I know that's not easy for any of us to try to look at things from a, a viewpoint that we're not currently possessing. And so we just ask the Lord that he would continue to minister. And I, I will bring this up again, but remember tonight that we come and we're not bringing anything to the table. In fact, before we start, before we even read, I just want to, I want you, if you will, why don't you just close your eyes and, and I just want you to open your hands and just tell the Lord, God, I'm not bringing anything here. Lord, I'm not bringing anything to the table. I, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to contribute in this. Lord, even me, as I've prepared this week to speak, God, I don't have anything to contribute. But it's your spirit that speaks to us and ministers to our spirits, Lord. For each one here, your spirit knows exactly what to say to our hearts that would cause us to respond and to be inspired by your word. And so, Jesus, we ask you that you would have your work in this place. And everybody say amen. amen. Second, or 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The issue of our relationship with God is really best summed up in this. It was God's intention all along that our relationship with him would always be directed through his manifestation in the flesh. This was God's intention from the outset. <clears throat> now I know for everybody who's been with us for so long, that's not news to you. But it is a 
necessary frequent reminder because our natural humanity takes us to making everything about me. It's what naturally happens. I don't have to do anything to become selfish. I don't have to do anything to be self-centered. And so when I begin to look at the things that God is doing and I listen to, let's say, Christian uh, preaching, Christian, uh, Christian songs, supposed, um, you're going to hear so much in the, that, that is in this stuff that's about you. It's about you being so special to God. It's about you being so important to God. It's about you getting what you desire and what you want, your best life, as pastor said this morning. And in reality, this has never been about us. And it never will be about us. If, it, if this salvation thing is about you, then you missed it. If church is about you, you missed it. If worship is about you, you missed it. And so God's intention from the very beginning was that he would have fellowship with his people, but that that fellowship would exist solely purposed in his manifestation in the flesh, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the manifestation of God. The fullness of everything God is, is wrapped up in Christ. We cannot find anything. I know I'm preaching to the choir. That's why you're so quiet. We cannot find anything of God outside of Christ. And we never will. There is just one God. And there is only one mediator that exists between God and man. And that is because, remember, because we need mediation. Not because God can't deal with, uh, with people. Not because God's afraid to look at sin. Not because God had to pour out his wrath. Not because of any of those things. Jesus existed because God said, I'm going to become flesh so that I can tabernacle among my people and I can be exposed and touched by my people. That's what it's all about. Anybody who paints for you the picture, we were talking about this Wednesday night with Dustin and Dad and Brandon and Isaac. Anybody who paints for you a picture of the cross of Christ being about the wrath of God is lying to you. The cross of Christ is not about the wrath of God. The cross of Christ is about the love of God. It is about him laying down this, this uh, manifestation that he became, this life that he became, so that he could show us that he loved us. No greater love has any man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And God commended his love, not his wrath on the cross, but his love was poured out on the cross. And so when we think about all of this, it is so important for us to remember that we need mediation. We have no access to God. There is no point at which we can approach God. And so we need mediation. God doesn't need mediation. We need mediation. God is one. He's not broken up into three parts so that there could be one who mediates. No, no, no. God is one. And God said, I'm going to become the mediator between myself and humanity. And this is the revelation of God in Christ Jesus. 
reconciling the world to himself. When the mighty God, the everlasting one, not a substitute, would put on humanity, this is the plan of God. Before the Garden of Eden was ever created, before Adam and Eve ever came into existence, God intended to become touchable. God intended to become approachable. God intended to become knowable. It was his desire that all men, every nation, tribe, and tongue would have access to him through his flesh. People will, will say of me and dad, I mean, anything they would say of me, they would say of my dad too, but will say of me, you are a replacement theologian. You believe that the church has replaced Israel. And to that, I have learned that no, that is not true. I don't believe that Israel was ever the intention. So I'm not a replacement theologian. Israel is not the timepiece. Israel is not the timepiece for the end of the world. Israel was the, the function of Israel was to bring us to Christ. It supports Christ. It is the heritage, the lineage, the law. All of that comes. The adoption is there for them too. But all of it is to bring us to Jesus. That's what it's all about. So I'm not a replacement theologian. I'm a believer that the church was always the purpose of God. What we are living in today is what God intended for his people from the very outset. And Paul said, and so in this manner shall all Israel have to be saved also. He didn't say all Israel was going to be saved, but he said, listen, if they are going to be saved, it's going to be because they come to a knowledge of God in the flesh in Christ Jesus. The same access, the same avenue, every tribe and tongue. This access point of the God-man, the Theanthropos. It's not just an access point to salvation so that we can be right with God, which is, again, propagated so much that there, there is this intention, well, there's a real need for Jesus because if we don't ever get to Jesus, we can't get right with the Father. But that's not what this was about. It's not just that there is salvation in Jesus, which we need, but that Jesus remains the only access point to God. We don't get saved and then use Jesus to walk through the door to get to some other part of God. No, no, no. Jesus is the fullness of God. He is everything you need. He is everything you're looking for. He is the answer, as Andre Crouch said, oh, some 50 years ago now, for the world still today. I'm reminded of the verse that we all know very well, John 14 and 6, when Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. The going, the knowing, and the living are 100% in Christ. We do not ever outgrow Jesus. Again, charismatic movement, the Pentecostal movement that I grew up in and now has morphed into this hyper charisma, so much of that is to try to get to deeper and more important points of God and more experiential knowledge of God and, and these glory clouds and angel 
horse feathers, frankly, and angel dust and all of this stuff and all of it's to get to something other than Jesus. But we will never outgrow Jesus. If you get to the point where you have moved beyond Jesus, then you have moved beyond God. And you are walking in areas you never can know. I've said so many times through the years, and I know I'm repeating, and I'm going to get to some stuff that you haven't thought of probably at some point, but, but I, I know I've said this so many times, but we will never come to the point. If you, got, if you could somehow manage to get beyond Christ and find some place in God, you would not be able to identify the God that you serve then. Because in Christ, we have the boundary. We can recognize who God is. But if you don't have the spirit of Christ, and if you're not walking in him, then how do you know what God you're walking in? How do you know what spirit you are of? Oh, no, we get into church, we'll always be of the right spirit. Really? Because Jesus said to his disciples at times, you don't even know what spirit you're of. Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me. Satan, just being in church, just being around a good group of people, just having really good intentions and feeding the homeless, that's not the answer for the world. But it is only in Christ. And I am terrified for so many people who are being fed access and and revelation of God that exists somewhere outside of Christ because I do not know where they are going. There is no safeguard. There is no boundary. You know, they're playing, they're, they're bowling. Anybody bowled with the bumper? Somebody said this the other day. I think it was Dustin. Did you say that about the bumpers? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we've, we've seen the bumpers where you roll down the lane and it kind of keeps you in line. Well, I, I see a lot of people in a different light now. They don't, because they got outside of Jesus, not only are the bumpers gone, but where with, with the gutters were, there's the abyss and there's no coming back. They're not kicking the ball back up to the, to the return and you're picking it back up and going again. No, when you get outside of Jesus, you're stepping off into some territory that I'm not so certain you're ever coming back from. We're not looking for anything else. We do not grow outside of him. We do not get to another level where he is of less importance. But Jesus makes this very clear. There is no access point There is no going, there is no knowing, there is no living with the Father except in Him. I never liked the song before, but this week I was thinking about the little song, and I remember my grandpa singing it so many times, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that's what Jesus said. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. And I begin to think about that in a a little different light in in this, this week, that literally the life that I live, the way that I know, the truth that I have, all consists in him. He's not just pointing me in the right direction, but if I get outside of him, then I lose my life. 
Pastor just preached a couple weeks ago about John chapter 15 and that apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone abides in me, he will have life. But if anyone abides not in me, well, but I'm, I'm going on past Jesus into God. Then guess what you're going into? Death. We don't ever leave the root of Jesus. The fact that Jesus, the imminent flesh manifestation, remains the access point to God, the transcendent spirit, is vital to our relationship with God. The old tabernacle gives us so many beautiful pictures of Christ. As I said, it was, it was just type, and you, you can read this all over the book of Hebrews. You can read it through uh, Paul's writings. Uh, the, 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 all, the, all of the law, the ritual, the, the temple, the tabernacle, the, the washings and the cleansings and the sacrifices and the offerings and all of this stuff, it's all a picture and pointing toward Jesus. But there's a couple of, of really beautiful pictures that I, I want to look at just quickly tonight. And the first is the holiest place, the most holy place, or the holy of holies. It's the holiest place on earth. It's the place of God's presence. It was accessible only once a year and only to the high priest. It could not be touched by unworthy men. The holy place was off limits not accessible. The cleansing ritual and sacrifice protected the priest from certain death because if you walked into that place having sin in your life and not having sacrifice poured over you, then there was instant and certain death as a result. To reach out and to touch this holy place meant death. Therefore, the veil was placed around. I've often thought, and maybe it's true also, but I often had in my mind pictured that the veil was there to keep the things of God hidden. I don't know if anybody ever thought of the veil in that way. It was a place back behind and hidden and not accessible to humanity, but I, I see it even maybe a little different now in that I believe that the veil was there to protect us from approaching that because you can't go there. There is no access. If you reach out and you touch that holy place, you die. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when they are bringing the Ark of the Covenant with the presence of God residing in it and they're bringing it back to Jerusalem and they reach out and touch the cart and instant death happens because it is not accessible so the holy place is where the presence of God is, but it is surrounded by a veil that marked out a boundary that was never to be crossed by normal humanity. And I, I begin to think about this passage of Scripture in conjunction with that, and that is Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 6. And I want to read a few verses here just because I want you to get... I want, I want you to see some things. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, 
When these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Spirit, this signifying that the way... which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of, of goats and calves, but by his own blood entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The way had not yet been made. This leaped out at me as I read that this week. I want to be very clear because I see this happening. I see people praising it. Any attempt to rebuild the temple or Davidic worship is antichrist. There are people, there are churches all over that are excited. I just saw this thing on YouTube, this blurb. I didn't watch the video, but this, this uh, little ad came up or whatever for the video. And it was that they are right at the point of bringing the red heifer, the perfect red heifer. And people are super excited about this. Oh man, this is going to be awesome. Really? Because that was just a type and you're missing the true. You're hanging on to something old and missing what it was all about. It was just pointing. It's just a snapshot, a picture, just a, an image of something that was yet to come. And now we have what was yet to come. And any attempt to rebuild Davidic worship, any thought that what the Jews would be doing right now would be uh, worshiping the same God we are worshiping is literally, literally antichrist. It's removing what Christ has done and bringing in something else. That old tabernacle and temple only stood as a figure or a symbol. All of the ceremonial washing and ritual sacrifices was simply a shadow. It was never about sacrifice. 
It literally was never about sacrifice with God. Remember, I, I just read it a few weeks ago in Jeremiah where God said, I did not command you concerning sacrifice. But what was his command concerning? Obedience. It was never about sacrifice. It was always about the will of God. It was always about submitting to the will of God. It was never about the blood of bulls. It was never about the blood of sheep. It was never about your offerings. Let me sum it up. It was never about what you were going to bring to God. It was always about what God was going to bring to you. 100% about what God was going to do. Yes, we bring praise and we bring thanksgiving. We did this tonight. We testified of his goodness. We sang songs that would glorify him. These are important things. We bring offerings and tithes of gratitude for what he has already done. But let's remember in all of this, these things are just offerings of gratitude. We can never buy ourselves access to God. We can't do enough good things. We can't bring enough sacrifice to where we have a right to approach God. And we get that so confused. I know I preached this two weeks ago and I'm preaching it again. Remember redundancy. Repeated uh, thought. It's the best teacher. But... We, we feel as though somehow if I bring the right offering, if I come with the right gift, if I have enough to bring, then God will be pleased by me. But the truth is, it's not about what you bring to God. It is about what God has brought to us and has given to us. The result of his giving to me is that I am blessed and my children are blessed and I, my home is brought salvation and there is life and joy and peace. And so I return like the leper and I give him thanks for what he has done in my life. But I cannot bring enough offering prior to grant myself access to his presence. The problem with our gifts occur over and over again. Even the greater question is presented again by Job that we read last time in chapter 9. If you were going to bring a gift to God. If there was an acceptable gift to bring, how are you going to get it to Him? Have you thought about that? How are you going to get a gift to a holy God that is unapproachable, that you cannot even get near. The high priest doesn't come bringing your gifts with him. He comes bringing a sacrifice 
for himself and all of the people, but your little individual gift will never get to God because you have no access. So whatever it is that you think you can bring to God really just gets left at the foot of the cross anyway. And the only access point becomes what God brought to us, which was his revelation. He made himself known. He made himself accessible. The 10th chapter of that same book of Hebrews and the first verse says, for the law having just a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of their sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. How does God deal with a sin that separates people from him? How does he deal with it? What is the solution for an unholy people offering imperfect sacrifice? What is God's answer to to ritual sacrifice and perpetual offering? How will God deal with this? I know I have my ideas. I know what I think God should do, but... I don't think like what God thinks. God has a solution. Wherefore, verse 5, when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body. Body. I've prepared a body. There's a woman who can't stop her bleeding. She can never walk up to the holy place of God and even touch the veil. There is no access. She cannot bring an offering. Why? Because even if she had the greatest offering in the world, she is unclean. She's not even allowed inside the temple. What is the answer? How can she be helped? A body. There's a woman at a well who is lost and broken in love. Failing over and over again, trying to find some satisfaction in men in this world 
She is not even of the right religion. She's worshiping in the wrong place. She has no access to come to the holy place, which is off limits to her anyway. What is the answer for her? How is she to get right with God? What can she offer? What can she bring? But God's got an answer. A body. And I think about a blind man and a leper and a thief and a murderer who have no right They are unclean and therefore their offerings are unclean. They are unclean and therefore they cannot even begin to approach God. But the answer is the same. The solution that God deals with. I would not have sacrifice. No more sacrifice. Away with your sacrifice. I'm tired of sacrifice and disobedience. I'm tired of sheep. I'm tired of goats. I'm tired of blood spilled all over the floor. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of bleeding animals. I'm tired of the noise of death. I'm tired of how all of this sounds. This, this flesh, it's just burnt in my nostrils. I don't want to smell it anymore. It's putrid to me. It makes me sick. I'm sick of it. But a body, this is how God says I'm going to deal with humanity. This is how God's going to deal with every sinner. This is how God's going to deal with every unclean one. And the woman with the issue of blood who has no right to reach out, reaches out and touches him and she does not die, but instead life is issued unto her. I am the way. What what is the way? His his. Sermon on the Mount is the way. His ideas are the way. His thoughts are the way. The, the, the good beatitudes that he gives us, it's the way to live. No, no, I am the way into the presence of God. I'm the truth. What is truth? Pilate asked this, what is truth? Truth in the Greek, the word means alatheia. It means to uncover. Latheia means to cover something up. But the truth is really reality. And what Jesus is simply saying is, I am the way and I am the reality. But I am the life. When you touch the holy place, you die. Something has to die to get into the holy of holies. You cannot walk in there without death. But in Christ, there is no longer death, but there is life. A body. In burnt offerings and in sacrifices, I have no pleasure. But a body I have prepared for me. You thought this was all about 
ritual. You thought it was all about ceremony. You thought it was all about sacrifice. You thought it was about what you wear. You thought it was about speaking in tongues. You thought it was about getting baptized in the right name. You thought it was about all these things, but I'm telling you, it's about a body. It's about a body. The body of Christ. I can hear God say, what's that? You want to know what this is all about? You still haven't quite got it figured out. You, you, you think it's about sacrifice? Look at verse 8. In that same chapter and above when he said sacrifice and offering. And burn offerings. And offering for sin thou wouldest not. Neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered in the law. Then said he, lo, I come in to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second by the which will. We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Once and for all. Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. What is it that God wants for you? What is it that God wants for us today? 2,000 years after sacrifice has been done away with, we're still trying to figure this out. To do thy will, O oh God. Oh, okay. Okay, I, I got it figured out. I will go out and I will figure out what the, what the will of the Lord is and I will do it. And so you got all these denominations arguing over what God's will is, arguing about what to eat, arguing about what not to eat, arguing about the name, arguing about the formula, arguing about all of these things, trying to figure out what the will of God is and I've got it figured out for you. You better get in Christ. You got to get into the body because your will will never line up with his will. But the answer is the body. A body thou hast prepared for me. Well, there's a body prepared for every one of us. It's not my body. It's his body. It's me coming to the body of Christ, to Jesus, and saying, Lord, I've got to get into you because you fulfill the will of God. I do not. Me getting it all figured out and having my ideas about, about how to live and what to do is not the answer because that simply resorts back to, to offerings and sacrifices and rituals and ceremonies. The answer is the literal body of Christ. I do believe, and Pastor had said this a few weeks ago, so I know I'm not stepping outside of where he is comfortable, but I do believe that there is a body of Christ in the heavenlies. I think he has a physical body. I don't believe that we could possibly see God without it because God is invisible. And he has never been seen at any time by anything, but the only begotten reveals him, John 1 says. 
And so when we get to that eternal destination, that final point, we are going to see who? Jesus, that's who I'm looking for. That's the one I'm going to lay my eyes on. The same one who walked on this earth. Is he glorified? Oh, yes, he's glorified. His body is glorified. We know that because he told them, do not touch me yet because I have not yet been glorified. But then after he was glorified, he was seen again. And I believe that we can lay our eyes upon the body of Christ. Now, they won't be these eyes. I don't know how these eyes will see. But it is the body. It is his answer to every issue in our life. To every issue within religion. I want to close by reading this 19th verse. Let's look at the 18th verse. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. What's the holiest? It's that holy place. That off-limits place. That untouchable place. Where only the high priest could go. But Jesus entered once and for all. Bringing sacrifice once and for all. His own death once and for all. That those who have the spirit of Christ will also likewise be risen to life anew, the scripture says. He will quicken our mortal bodies. We have access to the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way. Now think about this. Think about this. Paul, maybe, we don't know if it's Paul writing. I've all often believed it is. The book of Hebrews written by Paul. But whatever the writer of Hebrews is, how, how long after? I don't know the dates. But this is tens of years after Christ. Maybe 30 to 40 years after Christ, right? Okay, so we're not talking about... This having been written right when he's alive on the earth and hasn't gone to the cross yet. And and listen to to what's said here. By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Okay. How do you access the presence of of the Holy God through his veil which is to say his flesh see the answer is the body now you say well Pastor Rodney I don't I mean we, we deal with the Lord in spirit now and we do it is the spirit of Christ that dwells in us it's the spirit of Christ that we walk in and all of those things so for us it's not a It's not the physical body of Jesus walking with us. But it is that we must return to what the physical body of Jesus was. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not that we have literally the body of Jesus standing here with us. Although he could if he chose to. 
but it is that we remember what the physical body of Jesus was. The access that we have to the holy place of God is in understanding what the work of Jesus was in his body. We do not move beyond the body of Christ. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So everything he was on this earth is everything that we need to have spiritual relationship with God. And the access to the holy place. We want to get all super spiritual and get into this holy, holy, holy place. But the access to the holy place is not through the super spiritual. It's through the veil, which is to say his flesh. We need to get far more concerned with what Jesus was when he was on this earth. And we're going to find a special revelation of everything that God is in that. We find access. You say, well, I want the the Holy Spirit of God to flow in my life. Absolutely, that's what we all want and need. And in order to get that, I've got to walk and come to him in that flesh body that, that was manifest so that I could know God. That's the access. Well, I want to get out there, and and if I speak in tongues, then that'll bring me there. No, it won't. No, speaking in tongues doesn't grant you access to the holiest place. What does? The body of Christ. But if I do miracles, what if I prophesy? What if I heal people? That would certainly get me access. Being very spiritual would get me access. No, coming to the body of Christ grants me access to everything that God is. Now, I know that this is very simple, very redundant, not something that you don't probably already know. But this week, as you pursue knowing the Lord, as you dive into trying to walk in his spirit, pursue understanding that revelation of God in his flesh, because that is how he wants to reveal himself to you. And there is great depth of spiritual life when we begin to understand the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Dad, why don't you come?